Buddy Lance Russell and Dave Brown right along ringside. By golly, we're about ready to go with more big action. Thank you very much, and welcome to Georgia Championship Wrestling. I'm Gordon Sully, your host, and we have quite an hour in store for us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Championship Wrestling at ringside. This is Vince McMahon along with wrestling's only living legend, Bruno Sammartino. Welcome to this week's edition of Mid-South Wrestling Television. I'm your host, Boyd Cheers, another outstanding card. Hey, guys, and welcome back to the Regional Wrestling Podcast, where we talk the territories. That's right, guaranteed 100% territory talk each and every time out here on this show. And I'm your host, Ray Russell. And on this week's program, we continue on with January 1985 in the Memphis Territory with guest co-host Gene Jackson here this week as we continue to talk about the interns and the Dirty White Boys, Jerry Lawler versus Hot Stuff, Eddie Gilbert, and Jimmy Hart may be in there somewhere too, baby. And we're going to get to all of that in just a moment. But first, just a friendly reminder that you guys can listen to the Regional Wrestling Podcast along with sister shows like the Wrestling Memory Grenade, currently covering the 1988 and the WWF Project, as well as the Wrestling Stoop Podcast with the legend himself, Bob Roop. As Bob goes back in time and recalls countless memories that he shares with us all, plus other new shows on the horizon. You can listen to all of those shows and more, all part of the WrestleCopia Podcast Network, located over at WrestleCopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com and anywhere your podcast streaming needs are met, from Apple to Spotify, Google, and beyond. And hey, guys, be sure to follow me on social media for all the latest goings on here at the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. Plus. I'm constantly adding old school video clips and pictures from throughout wrestling history. And you can do so by following me on X, formerly the Twitter. You can follow me there at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. Also, follow and like me, Facebook.com slash Wrestling Grenade. And while you're at it, make sure you subscribe to YouTube.com slash Wrestling Grenade. Very important for those following the Regional Wrestling Show to follow YouTube if you'd like to get a hold of all of the videos that we're discussing here, all the television episodes, both for Gene Jackson and I when we do the Memphis 85 project here on Regional Wrestling, and of course, five months deep now, me and Roman covering the UWF in 1986. All of those TV episodes up there right now on my YouTube in chronological order for you guys to follow along as we discuss the history. And that address again, youtube.com slash wrestling grenade. And last but certainly not least, now would be an absolutely phenomenal time to become a WrestleCopia patron, guys. Now hear me out. You can find me there at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. That address again, patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. Guys, I'm only talking about a $5 all-access tier. Get you all sorts of gifts for just 5 bucks, including all of my insanely detailed book-like show notes, pages and pages of show notes, for every episode of The Grenade Show, Monday Warfare, and right here, the Regional Wrestling Podcast. You'll also get early access to many of the podcasts here on WrestleCopia, where you can listen days and sometimes as much as a week earlier than the rest of the listeners. From there, it's remastered versions of the earliest episodes of The Grenade Show, covering the 1989 NWA project. Includes enhanced sound quality, plus new content and conversation never heard before. But that's still not all. You also get digital downloads for your viewing and reading pleasure, and of course the Patreon-exclusive Watch Along series, covering many past WWF and WCW events. And if that wasn't enough, random bonus video drops, 
and new projects on the way. And you get all of that for the low, low price of just $5, guys. No subscription. Cancel any time. Please, show your support. Give it a try for a month. And I truly do believe you'll love the content that I offer there. And the best part is, every penny of it goes right back here into paying the bills to keep the WrestleCopia Podcast Network and all of the wonderful shows here up and running for the months and the years to come. So, if you can, spare a few bucks, please consider supporting the WrestleCopia brand. All right, with all of that out of the way, it's time to jump back into things here this week. Head on back to 1985 in the Memphis Territory once more. So without further ado, here we go, Davey. guys can't wait to get into the following week of the cwa in the memphis wrestling territory 1985 and to do that we're going to bring him back it was such a success the last time out he's welcome back anytime but most specifically this week and guys who i am referring to is gene jackson and right now everybody say hello welcome back gene jackson to the show all right man i've been looking forward to traveling back to 1985 for some more Fun, fun from the Memphis wrestling. So let's do it, man. All right, man. I was just looking forward to Gene Jackson coming back to the show. So I got my wish as well. Oh, man. It's going to be Thanks. another fun time. <laughs> we had a great time last time, but a lot of feedback. Gene, did you get any feedback from anybody out there? I did. I had quite a few of my friends uh, check in and say that they listen to it and they really enjoy it. And that uh, I, I have turned on uh, quite a few people. Uh, you know, I told you last time that, you know, I, I was all in on uh, Wrestle WrestleCopia. I discovered it via the Bob Roop podcast and mm-hmm. just dove in. And as you know, I've been kind of, you know, telling you as I go along. Hey, man, I just I just binged the entire year of '87 and you know '89 right, <laughs> NWA and all that. <laughs> and uh, so a few of my friends have done the same, and so uh, they uh, they feel like uh, we're a bit of a, a podcast mega powers here. They're pretty excited uh, uh-huh. to. Me have found somebody who uh, shares my enthusiasm. I like it. Uh, in this uh, stuff, so uh, I'm pretty excited about it myself. Dude. Just, just keep the lust out of your eyes. We'll be all right. <laughs> uh huh. That's what it's all about, man. Um, yeah. So no, I had a great time. There's actually somebody I talked to on Twitter who shall not be named because he doesn't like to play politics with the other podcasts that he talks to. But he, you know, when I told him that you were on doing the Memphis show with me, he said, "Oh, I got to go listen to that." Gene Jackson's like my favorite guy to go listen to besides you. He's like, that's like Lance Russell and Gordon Sully coming together. I said, oh, don't say that. He was making a joke, but I mean, <laughs> the superpowers or whatever you want to call it, of his, his two favorites anyway. So I thought that was real cool, very flattering of him. And he doesn't just say shit just to say it. So it meant a lot when he, when he said that to me. So it's great to have you back so quickly here on the show as we continue on down that road of January in 1985 in uh, Jarrett Promotions here, the Memphis Territory. That's it, man. Like I say, this is what I grew up on. You know, I, I watched as much as I could find, but 
I, I had a real, real deep love for uh, for Memphis and Continental, especially. So really excited to be uh, picking up an 85, and I hope we can just truck right on from there. But there's a lot of good stuff to get through in 85 before we start looking ahead to any other years. Yeah, my introduction to the Memphis Territory was actually the magazines. Being up here in northeastern Ohio wasn't on the uh, local stations, uh, so I had to go through the magazines a lot until Jerry Jarrett bought out the Dallas promotion and then sent a lot of guys down there. Now, they weren't running necessarily the same wrestlers or storylines down there as they were up in Memphis, but I did get a lot of uh, get to see a lot of the guys in action. Jeff Jarrett, Jerry Lawler, Robert Fuller, and all those guys came through there, of course, so... I, I, it was obviously the tail end of the Dallas territory at that point, but it was still cool to finally get to see a lot of these guys that up until then I only got to read about in the magazines. Yeah, I can only imagine only getting to your only uh, context for Memphis wrestling being the magazines. Um, I'm sure that was a lot of fun when you did finally get to see video of it, having you oh, yeah. know, read about it in the you know after mags and whatnot. Because it's really hard to it's really hard to wrap your head around Memphis wrestling until you truly <laughs> right. get to see it. And I don't. It's not a knock because obviously I love it, but it's it's very different than most of the other territories that existed back in that day. Yeah, Jerry Lawler surely made sure he was uh, featured very heavily there in the after mags back in the day. So I was looking forward to seeing him, and I probably did see him on some of that AWA stuff as well. But my best memory, if you want to call it that, of Lawler as a kid growing up was he was on. Dallas, the USWA, every single day, Tuesday through Friday, because Monday was AWA by that point on ESPN. And he was on there every day, maybe more than once, just like you're in Memphis. And, uh, you know, cheated every time to win the matchup. So it, it, these nice, long, 20-minute stalling matches with the Tennessee chain. So after reading years of all this stuff, can't wait to see this guy in action. And this is what I get. Ugh. Come on, Jerry. But, uh, you know, obviously later on the tape trading in the 1990s, lots more Memphis came out uh, outside of just those videos that were sold, you know, the, the mayhem, whatever, madness, whatever those were called. Yeah. But um, outside of mayhem, those so, mad men and lunatics, there you go. That's what it was. But yeah, so I got to see a whole lot more over the last 30 years. And uh, yeah, I come to appreciate it very much. Love the Memphis territory. And uh, we go back now, guys. We finished up last episode talking about the January 7th Mid-South Coliseum show. And this week, Gene, just a quick recap so people know where we're at. On the card, it was Johnny Wilhoyt battling dangerous Danny Hager, newcomer, to a draw. Also, it was Leaping Lanny Poffo going to a draw with Joe Lightfoot. Now, we've seen online, we've even seen in some books that the name here in the results in a lot of places is Lanny Poffo battling Gypsy Joe to a draw, but it's actually Joe Lightfoot. We kind of came to that recollection on our own last week here on the program. Also on the card, it was Adrian Street over Tojo Yamamoto. Big Playboy Frazier and his Nuggets. Ah, uh, he is shaking the Nuggets off right now, Randy. Gene, he must have shook those Nuggets off uh, as he defeats both of the Batten twins. And remember, Frazier put up $500 if he couldn't pin both Battens within 10 minutes, and apparently he did so. Also on the card, this was kind of an auspicious debut for the Daydreamers, or ex excuse me, the Daydreams at that point. Ken Wayne and Danny Davis defeating the Daydreams. By disqualification, and if you guys missed last episode, uh, the Masked Men, the Daydreams, are actually Steve Constance and Tim Ashley under those hoods, but what an auspicious debut I wrote here. They make their debut under the hoods, and they lose by disqualification. Yeah, I mean, it's bad enough that Danny Davis and Ken Wayne already kind of spoiled their identities on right. TV, saying, 
We before, heard uh, that these guys might be, you know, Constance and Ashley under mask. And who let that slide, them, do you think? It's going to be painfully obvious. <laughs> uh, and then, as if that hadn't already kind of, you know, threw water on the whole thing to start with, now they go get a DQ loss in their first match. So we're off on running with that angle here. Who do you think let that slide? That it, uh, they, were, they weren't even there yet. They hadn't even arrived, and the, uh, the spoiler was already out that they, it was going to be Constance and Ashley under the hoods, spoiled there by the nightmares on TV. See, I don't know if somebody told them to do that just to so people wouldn't think it was some no-name team they never heard of, or right. if maybe you know it was one of those deals where as soon as they come through the curtain, Lawler's there going, "Nice job, dummies! You spooled it." So yeah, that I could go see, either way. I would I, really know, love for somebody that can answer that for us. You, you know, you read my mind, man. I mean, I was thinking exactly the same two options there. Unfortunately, we'll never know. I mean, Jerry Lawler might give us an answer, but we don't know, necessarily know that that would be true. Um, right. As we continue on here, that Mid-South Coliseum card, Southern Tag Team Champions, the interns battling the Dirty White Boys to a no contest in a match that was dubbed no disqualification and uh, there must be a winner. So a no contest and a there must be a winner match. And as a result of that match, the title's now vacated. But we'll have more on that when we get to TV here in just a little bit. But how about that? Uh, there must be a winner and then there's no winner. And see, that's another one of those things where I think you really need to have some Memphis context. If I'm reading that in a magazine, I'm like scratching my head going, what are they doing down there? Like, that's ridiculous. Yeah, but it happens here. And uh, it happens more than it needs to. We'll get to that as we go along. Sometimes, oddly, we're better for it. As uh, we continue on here with the Coliseum, Randy Savage defeating the Mid-American champion Iron Mike Sharp by disqualification. Savage had the match in hand when Eddie Gilbert came ringside and interfered. It was a two-on-one beatdown of the Macho Man there. And in the main event, Southern champion Jerry the King Lawler over hot stuff Eddie Gilbert in a barbed wire match. Yeah, uh, that's not something that people probably, a lot of people probably didn't realize that, you know, back in 85 in Memphis were doing barbed wire matches. But uh, yeah, they were ahead of the curve on gimmicks and uh, hardcore wrestling in Memphis, even back then. Well, kudos to them for making the rounds with that barbed wire match. That seems like a match you would just do a one-off. You know, if it was if it was the UWF, maybe they ran it down in Houston or the Superdome. But no, here in Memphis, they're doing it in high schools, which we're going to get to in just a couple of minutes. <laughs> which I'm sure Eddie Gilbert was absolutely thrilled about. When I'm, he sure, I'm so sure because, you know, the king wasn't eating too much of that barbed wire. Uh, we go on. <laughs> we go on. January the 8th, that would have been a Tuesday. Now, normally that's Louisville, Kentucky, the gardens, but... Remember, guys, they ran on the Sunday, January 6th. We talked about that those results last week, or last time out on the show. So we cover those results all out of the way. We move on. Of course, Wednesday night, Evansville, Indiana. I don't have results there. But as I just talked about, Friday night, January the 11th, Milan, Tennessee at the high school. Tickets available at the Milan Banking Company and First American Bank, sponsored by the Rebounders Club, Gene, with their members also selling tickets. Because... That's how they did shit back then, and it worked. Dang right. I mean, that's that's <laughs> Southern wrestling at its finest right there, sir. So we talked about this just a minute ago. Uh, they run the barbed wire match at the Mid-South Coliseum, but don't let it be said they didn't give everybody the special matchup because even here in the high school, in Milan, it's the barbed wire bout between Jerry the King Lawler and hot stuff Eddie Gilbert. Right now, we're going to hear from both men. 
Ooh, we got more action coming up. And by golly, I'll tell you what, hey, something talking about coming up, and that's in Selmer, Tennessee, McNary Central. We got championship wrestling. We're going to be talking about that later on. Okay, I want to talk about something that's right here on us on Friday, January the 11th, Milan, Tennessee, right there at the Milan uh, High School, sponsored by the Rebounders Club. Tickets on sale at the Milan Banking Company and the First American National Bank. Son of a gun, the main event is going to be worth the price of admission alone. Now listen to this and picture it, if you will. Ring completely wrapped in barbed wire, Jerry the King Lawler, Eddie Gilbert on the inside, Eddie. You understand? Barbed wire. That's right. I understand it very well, Lance. I want you to ask Jerry Lawler if he understands it because I know he's going to come out here and tell you and tell these people that he asked for this match. But I asked for this match because I know what barbed wire can do to you, Jerry Lawler. I know because before I became a star in the personality that I am today, when I was growing up in Lexington, Tennessee, I run around on a few farms. I know what barbed wire can do to you, especially when you're trying to get through it, which you'll be trying to do. It can tear the flesh right off your back, and especially if I take you from one end of that ring to the other with your face grinding it right down it when nothing will be left there. All the hide's going to come off, and I can't think of a better place than Milan, Tennessee, because Waller, I'm after you any place, any time Milan, Tennessee's going to see death. Well, the barbed wire fence, it's, it's going to be something to see, and uh, it's not going to be a pretty sight. Action, brother, you can't believe it. Now, listen, in addition to that, we've got a San Quentin chain match. That means it's legal for Ken Wayne and Danny Davis and Constant and Ashley to bring chains. Summon a gun. I, I think that's what Lance Russell there said. That's, that was, summon a gun. I love summon it. Summon a gun. I was gonna, San Quentin chain match. <laughs> yeah, I was going to. Played the promos back to back, but I had to get in the summon a gun before I forgot about it. <laughs> God, God bless Lance Russell, man. Yeah, you know what? Before we get to Lawler's promo, let's talk about that San Quentin chain match. We're going to find out a little bit more about that. Apparently, it's going to be the Nightmares versus Constance and Ashley. So I don't think they're the daydreamers here in, in Milan anyway. So all four men apparently can bring chains to the matchup. And it, but I had to go back to them wearing masks, not wearing masks. We talk about the bicycle, the tapes and everything. But I wrote, God, that had to be hard and confusing, especially oh for, for the young guys to keep up. Yeah, with, can you imagine who am I? promos and you're like, now, wait a minute. Do we have the masks in Milan? No. OK. All right. Are we doing the chain match or is this the loser leave or is this the. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's I know Cornette talks about keeping a notebook. You'd about have to, honestly, to keep that straight. Oh, yeah. um, unless somebody was doing it for you, which I wouldn't trust. No, no. Okay, I want to get back into the action we were talking about. Again, a reminder, Selma, Tennessee, coming soon. We'll talk about that. But Milan, right here on us, Friday, January the 11th, right there at the high school, friend. A big night of action. Now, what I was telling you about that San Quentin chain match is Constant and Ashley are going to be in with the Nightmares, Wayne and Davis, and it's going to be legal to bring change to the ring and use them right there in the ring. Very unusual match, but not nearly as unusual as that barbed wire match. Jerry Lawler, Eddie Gilbert, inside a ring with barbed wire, not chicken wire or anything else, Jerry, so they're not going to be getting any close on purpose to that ring That's side. right, Lance. I heard uh, Eddie Gilbert out here spouting off about how much he knows about barbed wire. Well, brother, you may climb some barbed wire fences, but I've been in a barbed wire match. I'm the one that invented this match. I had one with Coco Ware, and I grabbed that stinking head of his, oh. and I ran it down that barbed wire till the blood flowed like wine. And it's not going to be any different with you, Eddie Gilbert. Now, you think you're hot stuff, well, we're going to see just how hot you're going to be brother because it's going to get plenty hot in the kitchen and i don't think you're going to be able to stand the heat and you're going to have to try to get out 
Well, that's when you're going to run smack head on into that barbed wire, brother, and we're going to see the flesh fly. You're right. We're going to see the blood flow, but it's going to be yours, punk. Now, you can run your mouth all you want to about how bad you want the king and what you're going to do to me once you get me. Well, Milan, Tennessee is going to be your chance to back it up, brother, because you got me, every bit of me, and I'm going to have every bit of you, punk, what's left of you after the barbed wire finishes with you. That's on the 11th. Full card, five matches. I want to jump back to something real quick. Yeah, absolutely. Would, are there is there any footage of any of these barbed wire matches with Gilbert and Lawler? Not that I found yet. So I'm curious if they did. So in in '88 in Continental, mm-hmm. uh, I went to a show right off the road for me at the time, Columbus, Mississippi, barbed wire match between Austin Idol and Eddie Gilbert. That was the main event. And as a kid, I was psyched to see a barbed wire match live in person because I had never actually seen one. I'd just read about them and heard about them, you know, and seen uh, pictures from uh, Puerto Rico and things like that. So it comes time for the main event, and Austin Idol comes out first, which right out of the gate was a little bit bizarre to have the baby face come out first. <laughs> he comes out sure. in blue jeans and a, and a wife beater. And then Donna Summer's hot stuff plays, and here comes Eddie Gilbert, and he has got – He's got blue jeans and cowboy boots. He's got some big old knee pads. And then he's got on what appears to be about three sweatshirts. He's got a big old pair of like welder's gloves that are taped. He's got like athletic tape with the gloves taped around the sweatshirt. He's got two or three sweatbands around his neck. And then like a big bandana or like a, he had a bandana over his head and then a boxing headgear over that. And he's almost walking like a mummy out there. He's got all this stuff on. And he gets in the ring. But it was actually kind of genius because then the whole story of the match is Idol stripping away these layers. You know, he would shoot him in the barbed wire and Eddie would kind of laugh and no-sell it and come back out. And he's stripping these layers down and they work through the whole match. And finally, the big payoff is he pulls the last sweatshirt off and he's down to just a T-shirt. And he shoots him in. He takes one big bump into the barbed wire with his back and comes out of it. And then Idol ends up winning the match. And, you know, that that was the story of the match. It really only had to go in the barbed wire one big time. And you built for it. And as, you know, as fans were out there like, oh, each time he tears one of the shirts off, everybody pops. And I was like, sure. at the time, you know, we hated He got so much heat when he come out. We're like, oh, you chicken and all this crap. Because they were eight years old at the time, 10 years old, whatever it was. But, you know, years later, when I thought back on it, I was like, oh, my God, the psychology of that. Oh, is master psychology. Genius. Yeah, like, and I don't know that I've ever heard. barbed wire match to go that way. Yeah, that's, I, I don't know that I've ever, ever heard that before. So I don't know if that was something Eddie thought up himself or if that's something he learned from, from someone prior to him. Now, I feel like that's not what they did here in Memphis in 85 because they're selling it. Lawler's selling it like somebody's going into the barbed wire. Uh, but, you know, you talked about putting layers on. I didn't know you were going to go with that that whole psychology thing there because I was going to say I've seen a couple wrestlers throw on a couple sweatshirts, but it was because they didn't want to get barbed wire, you know, on their skin. It wasn't because <laughs> right. they were telling a story. That sounds a lot more fun there. And, and Eddie only had to take one big bump into it, and everybody was satisfied. So very genius by everybody involved. And had you told me Austin Idol did that, I would have believed it because he would have found any way to do the least amount possible. So... That would that would have yeah, worked. Yeah, had Idol been the heel, the sweatshirts wouldn't have came off. They would have stayed on. And <laughs> uh-uh, darling. Uh-uh, darling. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, I got a better idea. Instead of taking them off, how about we just leave them on? We just we'll go home, darling. Eddie, so for Eddie's heat, he put Idol's head into the barbed wire one good time, 
and he had one trickle of blood coming right down the center of his head, down his nose, and that was Idol's big spot for the barbed wire match, and then the rest of it was on Eddie. To be honest, man, I'm surprised they got that much out of him, and that's coming from an Austin Idol mark from way back. But, I mean, <laughs> I call a spade a spade. It's it's kind of funny, though. Big, five big matches here in Milan. It's just a high school show. They got five matches, so not the typical seven or eight that we'd see at the Coliseum, but a lot of the, the riffraff, if you will, the prelims aren't here. Because on the undercard, it's Adrian Street, Mike Sharp, guys like that. And then, of course, we have right. the San Quentin chain match and a barbed wire match. So can you imagine all those high school kids coming in? I know I wanted my tickets for that show. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, that would have been the talk of the playground when I was a kid. Like, <laughs> we're going to see that barbed wire match in our gym where we play basketball. Like, got to see that. Absolutely. So uh, we move on. To the following, unfortunately, I don't have results, guys, for the uh, Milan show, but it's I'm sure it's more the same, at least in the Lawler-Gilbert matchup. Uh, the following day, though, the Saturday morning, WMC TV 5 Studios, Championship Wrestling. Uh, this footage here for January 12th, Gene, I believe it's just one of only two episodes, not from the Memphis feed, but rather pulled from the Louisville version, just a 60-minute broadcast rather than the 90-minute broadcast. Uh, so a few things going to be omitted here. Uh, in this 60-minute version, probably just going to be missing some of the hard sell for the Mid-South Coliseum matches. Yeah, typically that's really all you lose. Um, some of the specifics for the Coliseum and, you know, two out of 52 ain't bad. We'll take what we can get here. Oh, I'll take it. 60 minutes out of 90, uh, two out of 52, I'll, I'll take that any day. So uh, we roll on. We get going here. And it's Tag Team Mania this week as many of these teams prepare for the upcoming Southern Tag Team Title Tournament tomorrow night for the held up belts at the Mid-South Coliseum. Uh, yes, guys, I did say the Mid-South Coliseum, a special Sunday night event. As uh, we get going here, Lance Russell going to interview Ken Wayne and Danny Davis, along with their manager, Jimmy Hart. I guess Jimmy back with the former Nightmares. Hart says he returns to Memphis, and his team is all of a sudden unmasked. Can you believe it, Jeannie, baby? I can't believe it, baby. This is the <laughs> worst day of my life. Oh, we got to do more of that. Uh, <laughs> so now they're being swerved by Eddie Marlin facing Constance and Ashley under masks as the daydreamers. Now they're no longer the daydreams, but rather the daydreamers here this week. Uh, they were assured that if they unmask the daydreamers this week and prove them to be who they think they are, they will indeed have to leave town. Well, of course that would only make sense, Gene. Yeah, I mean, if if our stipulations mean anything, that would have to be the case. Uh, well, if stipulations mean anything, to a finish would be, to, a, to there must be a winner. That's true. So, yeah. you know, our, our our stipulations are questionable at best. But <laughs> if you haven't gone and seen this, folks, just for, just for a little context, the Daydreamers, Constance and Ashley, we're assuming, possibly. Could be. Uh, they're in the exact same gear that they wore before. The only difference is they are literally wearing... The nightmares masks that right. they were wearing for. I mean, it's just the red mask with the yellow star. I mean, there's. It's not like it's a whole new gimmick or it's a whole new look or it's just they've slapped on the nightmares mask that now the nightmares don't have on. It, and the masks even correspond with the gear that the nightmares are wearing on TV today, which right. is both fun and kind of odd. <laughs> so they get their chance here on TV. Big matchup here. Ken Wayne and Danny Davis going to go in the ring to take on the Daydreamers. Who are those masked men? Uh, I wrote a note here. I wrote, now they are the daydreamers. Of course, I touched on that. Remember last week, Gene, they were just the daydreams. So they've added a letter or two. 
Yeah, that I gotta admit that I understand the daydreams correlating with nightmares, but daydreamers does sound better. So I'm yeah, I, I didn't even realize they were called the daydreams until we covered that episode. I never knew that. Yeah, I guess somebody just after saying out loud goes, "Yeah, that kind of sucks," and they added the er, and I think it flows better. So agreed. So, Ken Wayne showing off early in the matchup, landing on his feet out of a backdrop attempt by one of the Daydreamers. Very acrobatic for the time, the way he stuck that landing on that uh, backflip on his feet there, Ken Wayne. But the Dreamers, they take control, and Wayne gets shot about, oh, 10 feet in the air on a big backdrop. And much like last week, the heels, they go running to complain to Lance Russell. Poor Lance. I don't know if you noticed this, because, you know, they did this several times throughout the match mm-hmm. and even though they're not wearing the masks anymore most of the times when when one of them would take a big bump and they go out of the ring and go complain to lance the opposite guy would roll back in which is a great heel move and i guess they look good you know they look enough alike to get by with it but they kept doing the old mask switch even though they weren't wearing the mask which oh I thought see was great you'd make a better referee than me i did not catch that gene but uh no they go out there and they complain to the point where the me and the referee are confused who the legal man was to begin with whether they look the same or not so Good heel work there and good catch by you, man. Uh, so they do go out. They complain to Lancer, poor Russell, and the heel's finally going to re-enter the ring and attack, trying to unmask one of the daydreamers. But once again, after a lengthy four-way melee, the heel's going to powder to the floor. At that point, Jimmy Hart and his men go over to complain at commentary yet again, this time refusing to even get back in the ring, taking the intentional count out, three minutes and 54 seconds, and... Nothing more than a way to continue the heat on TV without giving away too much. Absolutely. I mean, it's a good tease, you know, to get you to come out and see the match at the at the house show. So I got no problem with it. No, I, I was fine with that. I was kind of excited that, hey, we got this on TV. I guess, silly me, I forgot I was watching Memphis Studio Wrestling. I thought, <laughs> we're going to get a, a little a little match here. But no, it was more, more so just to build everything for the house shows, like you said. And uh, I didn't expect them to get unmasked or anything like that, but they did have their opportunity here on TV, and they didn't want it. Uh, as uh, we continue on with the program, we go back to a VTR. It's the closing moments from last Monday's Mid-South Coliseum show. It's that Southern Tag Team Championship match between the champion, the then-champions interns taking on the Dirty White Boys. Remember, no DQ to a finish. There must be a winner. As I stress the word must and winner. As uh, referee Jerry Calhoun going to get bumped on a leapfrog spot, and Lynn Denton intercepts Troy Graham, who is tossing in that metal footrest from his wheelchair, looking to pitch it to one of his interns, but instead Denton intercepts, blasting an intern with it, and Tony Anthony going to make the cover. But there's no referee, remember? Jerry Calhoun knocked out. So seconds later, Jimmy Hart comes ringside, tossing his cane into the ring, as intern number two, using that to blast Len Denton across the back. And so, we get Tony Anthony pinning intern number one, and intern number two pinning Len Denton. And the referee miraculously recovers. I love how that happens in wrestling. The referee back up, sees two covers, and decides, I'm going to count them both, Gene. One, two, three. But who is the winner? And I wrote LOL at Troy Graham, trying to roll away in his wheelchair with the title belts. (laughs) But Jerry Calhoun catches up, snatching them away, and this is the reason the Southern Tag Team titles now held up, pending a tournament tomorrow night, and I know you love finishes like this. Oh, gosh. I mean, that one's a tough one. (laughs) I mean, you know, why would you count both men down? I mean, logic would dictate, like, (laughs) all right, we gotta, everybody get up, we gotta continue, but 
nope, in the match where there has to be a winner, we're going to count both pinfalls and hold up the titles. But I guess we needed to do a tournament this coming week, and that's the best way we could find to get to it. And I, I don't really know. I mean, I know at the time I was, a, I mean, I was a kid. You know, going back to that last finish in the Nightmares match where they walk out, you know, from a kayfabe perspective back then as a fan, that works on a level of you're mad at the Nightmares because they're cowards and they walked out on the Daydreamers. And that makes for heat. That makes you want to go buy a ticket. I, I, I can get on board with that. Nowadays, if you did this finish on Monday night or Wednesday night, nobody's mad at the team to walk out. They're going, who booked this shit? Why would you? Why are they? Why did they do that? Right. But back then. That's not the way you looked at it. But if I'm a fan sitting in the front row and this happens, the double pin, who am I mad at? Or am I just not mad? Am I confused? Am I pissed? Am I like, where are you, Ray, where would you, how would you have left the Coliseum that night feeling about this finish? Well, you, you know, the ref? If, if Memphis wrestling could just simply schedule two whole referees on a regular basis, rather than just poor Jerry Calhoun doing it 95% of the time, they could have gotten out of this. A simple ref bump, Jerry Calhoun gets up to count one cover, the second referee's in there counting the other cover. At least, you know, there, there, there's a reason for two different counts here, but in this instance, you know, if I'm speaking as a Memphis fan, I'm probably just, you know, eating it and liking it, you know, but uh, as just a wrestling fan, I'm going, why? Why, why would you do that, referee? <laughs> exactly. Unless your second referee was Frank Morrell, and he wouldn't have made it down there in time anyway, so oh, we never. still would have got the same result. <laughs> well, I, I, Paul Morton pops up here and there, but he's just it's sporadic, so you never know. Yeah. People ask, how do you get out of a no DQ must be a winner match, Ray Gene? Well, if it's a tag team, I guess this would be it—the double pin of doom. <laughs> uh, it's not a it's not a good. Uh explanation but it's what we came up with apparently so. heed our warning fantasy writers out there don't book this finish as uh, we continue on Lance oh, yeah. Ryan... you, would have, you would have got crucified on wrestling classics for that finish back in my day <laughs> let me tell you martin nolte would have would have tore you a new one for that finish oh if it was memphis you would have had a defense <laughs> exactly like no it's it's memphis what are you talking about they did it every three weeks as uh, we continue on here, Lance Russell going to interview the Dirty White Boys, talking about Jimmy Hart, who uh, brought them here uh, with many promises, they say, but the money was never there. The title shots were never there. Then Jimmy disappears off to Atlanta to, quote unquote, scout talent. And now the Dirty White Boys are going to do it on their own, going to prove to everyone they don't need Jimmy Hart to get it done. They then turn their comments to Troy Graham and the interns, which brings out Troy Graham as he puts his finger in the face of Len Denton, daring him to hit a cripple in a wheelchair. God, I love Troy Graham. He's hilarious. Yes. Uh, it's it's a shame that he got injured and, you know, essentially ended his, his ring career. But, wow, he was really great as a manager. And, you know, you talk about making your injury work for you and making the best out of a bad situation, uh, making him the manager of the interns in that wheelchair, he definitely made it work. He may have been too, quote-unquote, Southern, for uh, Crockett and certainly for Vince McMahon, but he would have certainly flourished somewhere, uh, you know, without that injury. I think he would have gotten over somewhere, even if it was just as a manager at some point. I, I, you know, I, I think he could have done a whole lot more with his career here in the 1980s. It is unfortunate that he really messed that leg up pretty bad and never really recovered from it, unfortunately. As uh, this promo goes on, though, Lynn Denton says that the Dirty White Boys used to respect the fact that Troy Graham was hurt and in a wheelchair, but not no more. As Lynn then yanks Troy Graham out of the chair and to his feet. And even Lance Russell's like, 
Oh, Lang, come on, you can't do that. Uh, but look out! Look out, dirty white boys. It's the interns attacking the dirty white boys from behind. I wrote, yes, Gene, our very first Memphis studio brawl of 1985. And it only took two weeks. And it's total chaos here, albeit brief. Yep, it's it's a full-on studio brawl. <laughs> and uh, who could have seen that coming? Who would have thought that the interns would have ran in and jumped them from behind? But uh, yes, I, that's the one thing that stood out to me. I'm so glad you, you uh, mentioned it. <laughs> was the uh, reaction from Lance. Even even though he didn't like Troy, Troy Cram, right. even he was appalled that, that Lynn Denton would snatch him up out of the wheelchair, you know, <laughs> him being a, quote, cripple and all. Right. Uh, the one thing that stood out to me besides that that I hate, and I've seen people do it over the years, one of the interns done, did the dumb thing where he holds a folding chair in front of Denton and then just runs his head into it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what is that supposed to do? I, I don't know, but it was fun. It, I was like, ah. Oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> still, uh, it was great. I, I was thinking in my head the audacity that they made us wait a whole two weeks to get a, a studio brawl here in 1985. How dare they? As uh, Lynn Denton, like you said, cracked over the head with the metal footrest from the wheelchair, busting him wide open right here on TV. And then Tony Anthony beaten with a folding chair. There you go as well. Uh, we'll pause from that angle for a second, though. I just wanted to talk blood here on Saturday morning TV. It's not something they did every week. No, it's it's not. They, they were sparing with it here in the studio on TV. And uh, I think after that finish we had uh, the week before that, yeah, we needed something to kind of light a fire under this and make us kind of forget about that finish. Yeah, it's just so odd that you would see at 11 a.m. blood uh, on championship wrestling here in Memphis. But, you know, you look at 605 in Atlanta or cable and in, in general, and uh, that was a no-go. So it's kind of interesting to see, you know, who did what, where. And again, it wasn't done often here, but still 11 a.m. The kids are watching. So it's a little surprising. Oh, yeah. I mean, cartoons or later on Saved by the Bell was going off the air, right, as Memphis wrestling came on. And then, you know, five minutes outside of cartoons, we've got blood and, Occasionally, people getting hit by cars and things. It's, well, it's... if you watch Say by the Bell before your Memphis wrestling, I mean, Zach Morris made Eddie Gilbert look like a saint. So, I mean, you That's know, true. So, there we go. As uh, we go back to the program, though, Dirty White Boys left bloody and battered at ringside, courtesy of the interns. And they had a match scheduled up next to the Dirty White Boys. But Lance Russell suggesting that they're in no position to compete right now. Some of the matches should be switched around. But Lance, you have no say. As Joe Lightfoot and Jerry Bryant come out, apparently the Dirty White Boys opponents, and they're not going to wait as the heel duo attack the boys and toss them into the ring to force the match. Pure evil, I tell you, Gene. Pure evil. That's right. Apparently, Jerry Bryant and Joe Lightfoot are calling the shots around here, pal. So this is happening right now. Shut up, Lance. (laughs) (laughs) So the match is on. It's the Dirty White Boys, the bloodied Dirty White Boys taking on Joe Lightfoot and Jerry Bryant right this moment as the bell sounds and the heel duo going to work over a bloody Denton in the ring. Lightfoot lands a middle rope chop and uh, I guess he's about out of moves after that. So finally Denton starts hulking up here, absorbing the blows from Jerry Bryant and tags. I bet you didn't hear that very often. Lynn Denton hulking up huh? as uh, as he tags out to Tony Anthony and the dirty white boy is going to send Lightfoot out of the ring before they land their patented double Russian leg sweep on Jerry Bryant and that's going to end it here. Dirty White Boys, even beaten down by the interns, going to score the win two minutes and 25 seconds. And just that quick, it keeps the Dirty White Boys momentum going for the title tournament 
even bloody and beaten down, they still hold their own and get the win. Hey, if you aren't totally sold on the dirty white boys being baby faces, they just got beat down, bloodied, and then taken advantage of, thrown into a match, you know, when they weren't ready, and they came back, hulked up even, and got the win. I mean, what's what's more of a babyface move than that? Yeah, you can't do much more than that except maybe, you know, put him in a sit-down interview with Jerry Lawler on his Sunday morning show or something like that. As uh, we continue hmm. on... <laughs> Uh, it's uh, more tag team action. It's tag team action all night long, guys, by the way. So uh, get prepared. As the interns now in the ring with the manager Troy Graham ringside in his wheelchair, they're taking on the duo of Pat Hutchinson, Memphis prelim extraordinaire, and Jesse Owens, not the Olympian. And the intern's going to jump the prelim guys here, wearing them out both inside and outside the ring. Referee Jerry Calhoun, he can't keep track with everything going on. And Troy Graham, while in a wheelchair, blasting both of the job guys over the head with the steel chair on the floor, not even trying to protect them. And, and you can imagine trying to sit down and swing a chair. It's not very safe shots he's taking here on these guys. Uh, the mauling, though, only goes on for about a minute and a half before the dirty white boys return to ringside. They hit the ring attacking the interns. Ah, sweet revenge. But man, is it heel heavy on today's show as we wind up with the interns, Jimmy Hart, the Nightmares, Eddie Gilbert, and Adrian Street, all seven men in the ring beating down the Dirty White Boys. Jeez, what did they do to all these guys? Uh, but finally, here comes the cavalry. It's Jerry Lawler and company out to make the save, running the heels off. But the damage gene already done to the Dirty White Boys here, trying to get them over hard. The newly turned baby faces, they want some sympathy on them here. Is it working for you? I, you know, I never would have thought that the Dirty White Boys could come off sympathetic, but, you know, they're doing everything in their power to make it happen. As, you know, again, like we said, you know, do we really believe the Dirty White Boys are baby faces? Well, they get bloody, they come back, they win the match, then they come out and, and try to get revenge and get attacked by nearly the entire heel locker room, and then they uh, they get saved by the one and only Jerry the King Lawler and others. You know, again, that's that's as baby face as it gets here in Memphis, getting saved by the king and uh, showing that you're on his side. So, you know, we're doing everything we can to establish that the Dirty White Boys are baby faces and to really, really put some heat on this feud with the interns. You know, you notice or you pointed out how uh, that chair shot out on the floor from the wheelchair from yes. Troy Graham wasn't yeah. the safest. That kind of becomes a staple of uh, <laughs> his over time. So. Well, uh, the first time I saw him do it, I was like, oh, my goodness. And then, <laughs> it, 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 spoiler alert, but it may it may happen again. And uh, I love that you pointed out that Jesse Owens was not the Olympian. Because, you know, years later, we would see a, Olympians such as Kurt Angle show up in Memphis. But not in 85. This no. is not Olympian Jesse Owens by no. any stretch of the imagination. I think he would be aged out by even 1985 standards anyway. But, um, sure. now, you know, I was looking. We've talked about it before that the Memphis territory, you know, a week in Memphis was like a month anywhere else storyline wise. And look how much they've done in two segments of the show here. So we get the beat down of the Dirty White Boys. And then instead of waiting later in the program for them to come out and return and, and wrestle that matchup, they do it right away, which I was a fan of. I love that. I love the had that been a real team that did that, the heel team of Bryant and Lightfoot, had there been a, you know, a, a team that actually was a full time tag team, that would have been a great, great uh, segment there. I'm not against what they did still. It was it was pretty cool. But here you turn around in the very next segment, the Dirty White Boys are out for revenge. That's something you might have saw next week on TV in another territory. But nah, -uh. about 10 minutes later, here we go. They're out for revenge. And then they get beat down a second time on the program. Unfortunately, uh, Jerry Lawler and company out to make the save. Just so you guys know who the baby faces are. 
Absolutely. Like you said, that, that could have been two or three weeks worth of UWF or Crockett angles, but we just, we just shot all that here in the first, first 20 minutes of Memphis TV. That's right. <laughs> As uh, no wonder they trade the book every six months. Jesus. As uh, oh God, you'd have to. Can you imagine? No. Uh, we go on up more tag team action, hot stuff. Eddie Gilbert teaming with the mid American champion, iron Mike Sharp, their manager, Jimmy Hart. They take on the duo of Johnny Wilhoit and making his Memphis, maybe his wrestling debut, I'm not really sure, David Haskins, the future Davey Rich. You recently had an interview with David Haskins, didn't you? I did. I interviewed uh, David Haskins for my uh, Retro Wrestling podcast, which you can find over on uh, YouTube.com slash Retro Wrestling Network. And uh, what, a, what a fun guy to interview David was. And David actually had... Uh, a fun story and some insight. This was literally his first match ever in professional wrestling. Wow. Uh, and he had some pretty fun stories about how he got his foot in the door. And, uh, yeah, I, I hope you guys go check that out. Maybe, uh, Ray can uh, share a link to it somewhere on the, uh, on the site, but, sure, uh, we can do that. yeah, David had a lot of insight into his time, uh, both here in Memphis, as well as in UWF continental, his entire, we covered his entire career, but, uh, it was pretty fun to hear how he slipped in the door of uh, Memphis wrestling. And uh, and actually, we'll, we'll talk about, you know, uh, I, me and you have talked about off the air about how, you know, David Haskins could have played Jerry Lawler's stunt double if there had sure been a could. Jerry Lawler movie or, yeah, it was, you know, it was like a, a, it was twin brother. You know, it was like the if they did the twin Hebner gimmick with, the, with Lawler and uh, Haskins, I would have bought it. Exactly. <laughs> and that's part of how uh, part of how he got started. That's not the fun story of how he, he got his foot in the door and met Lawler, but uh, he did come to a town and uh, bring his gear, and Lawler's gear didn't make it to the town, and he ended up wrestling in David Haskins' brand new wrestling gear because they were the exact same size, and that kind of helped grease the wheels and, and get him going with uh, and, and the good graces of Jerry Lawler. So wow, check cool. that out. And man, if you watch this with, the knowledge of this is his very first time ever in a wrestling ring, uh, as far as in an actual match. Uh, it's pretty impressive, honestly. You know, I, now that you tell me this is his very first match, I have to go back and watch this again. Cause now I'm curious because I didn't notice any flaws or anything. Not that he was, you know, uh, you know, Ricky steamboat here or anything, but I didn't notice well, any no, is no. issues here during this matchup. So to, for this to be his first match ever, now I have to go back and really, uh, you know, check it out. I, I didn't know. You know, I assume any of these guys likely probably wrestled for Dale Mann or somebody near the area at some point. Uh, but this being his very first match, very intriguing. So now I really have to go back and check it out. Some of you guys may know him a little better under the name Davey Rich as well. He worked down in Continental. I'm sure you knew that, Gene. Uh, one of the uh, Fighting Rich cousins, Tommy Rich, Johnny Rich, Davey Rich. Yeah, we uh, we talked about that, how uh, after after he slipped into the business, he later found out he happened to be cousins with Dave, with Johnny and Tommy Rich. Who oh, so but, uh, that all worked. And it was actually, uh, it was actually Bob Armstrong who revealed to him that he was, uh, a rich cousin. So again, that's yeah. another fun story in that interview. So y'all be sure and check that out. Bob Armstrong, the original ancestry.com. Very cool. As, uh, <laughs> we get going here. It's Gilbert and Mike Sharp. Take it on uh newcomer rookie, brand new, right out of the gate. David Haskins stepping in here with Johnny Wilhoit. As uh, we get going, Will Hoyt got a mini push last year as part of that new generation tag team with Mark Batten uh, before that other damn Batten showed up and ruined that for him. As uh, Jimmy Hart got to join commentary in this matchup. Why don't you do a little Jimmy for us again? Join this comment. Talk to us about this matchup, Jimmy. Well, you know, baby, 
Eddie Gilbert and Iron Mark Sharp, baby, they're the best tag team in Memphis wrestling, baby. And this guy, he looks like Jerry Lawler's twin in here, baby. And this is exactly the way Eddie Gilbert whipped up on him last week in that barbed wire match, baby, just like he did David Haskins. Oh, I love it. Thank you, Jimmy. As, uh, so Jimmy Hart does join commentary here, as you guys just heard. Uh, putting over the super athlete. Haven't heard Mike Sharp referred to as that before. Uh, comparing, uh, <laughs> talking about how super of an athlete Mike Sharp is for continuously competing with a permanently injured forearm. How about that? Noting he, that the, Mike Sharp is to Canada what Ivan Drago was to Russia, apparently. Oh, wow. That's a hell of a comparison as well. Don't know if I've heard that one either. As uh, well, super athlete, you know. <laughs> sure. Jimmy Hart noting that the best shot is a cheap shot, baby. As uh, Johnny Wilhoit pretty put together, and he winds up sending both heels packing early on in the matchup. And Davey Haskins in, taking over on Eddie Gilbert. Uh, but Gilbert going to counter a headlock with a back suplex. And then it's Sharp in, using that illegal forearm band or whatever's inside of it anyway. As the heel's just going to pick apart the newcomer for several minutes. Welcome to professional wrestling, Davey Haskins. As Lance Russell says, he's just been murdered. And I wrote, Gene, you know, he was murdered back when you could say things and it didn't have to be literal or considered offensive. Yeah, that would have required a, an apology the next week now if, he's, if anybody messed up and said oh, that. Oh, heck, guys, I didn't really mean he was being murdered in there. That was just a figure of speech. I have to apologize. Poor Lance. <laughs> could you imagine they made Lance apologize for such things? I would I would revolt. Damn. Oh, my gosh. I Just in preparation for this, just quickly to plug i had heard this back in the day but i went back on and listened to the two-part interview that jim Cornette did with lance russell mm-hmm. and uh it was just really i mean it was really great to hear lance just kind of discuss his whole career and hear those guys talk about memphis wrestling so if you have some free time and this isn't anything to do with wrestlecopia uh but you know if you get a chance check that out it's a really great interview and it gives you, you know, gives you a little bit of concept of who Lance is and just what a really nice guy is. It's, just, you know, it's, it's like listening to your grandpa. Yeah, Cornet Lance Russell, you, you can't go wrong with that. I've heard Lance do a couple of interviews, uh, including that one, which has been quite a while since I've listened to that one. Uh, so I, I strongly encourage everybody to go try to find that and check that out as well. Really good stuff there as you kind of do get a little deeper into Lance Russell, the man, which it's not really a whole lot different than the one on you see on TV. No, not at all. Not at all. It just kind of confirms that you, what you suspect, that he really is that, that nice guy that you watched on TV for years. So uh, the tag team... finished that, man. Oh, like... man. <laughs> well, we're about to get there. Um, so for several minutes, the heel just beat down on poor Davey Haskins until he makes the hot tag out to Johnny Wilhoit. As we see an insane height dropkick here by Wilhoit on Gilbert and a, a double backdrop by the baby faces as David Haskins then tagged back into the matchup but immediately it telegraphs a backdrop as Gilbert counters with the DDT. But rather than cover, he tags in Mike Sharp, who then blasts Haskins with his loaded armband with that clothesline to get the win. This squash match goes seven minutes and 30 seconds. Talk about eating up some time. And by name value, Gilbert and Sharp, they could be a favorite in that tag title tournament. They definitely could, but... Man, that finish just felt so redundant. I, like the DDT felt like a good ending. You know, the way he yeah. telegraphed the backdrop and he hit the DDT would have been a sweet finish. But then he tags out the sharp, who then hits him with a loaded. When well, he's clearly beaten, but he still right. hits him with a loaded armband and then gets the win. It's just kind of like, okay, yeah. <laughs> like, well, Got to get Mike to work his his shtick in. I, I guess is what they were going for there. All right, I'll, I'll I could put him away here, but all right, Mike, we'll we'll let you come in and, and pick up the crumbs. 
you're right. It was unnecessary. And I love it. It could have been out of nowhere. Eddie Gilbert showing off. And he's feuding with Jerry Lawler. Give him the win, for fuck's sakes. Yeah, no kidding. So we go on one more matchup here this week with TV time remaining. It's the tag team of Playboy Frazier and the exotic Adrian Street, accompanied to the ring by Miss Linda and Jimmy Hart. Their opponents, Lanny Poffo and Ken Raper. I feel like there's a joke there somewhere. As uh, everyone ready for action as the Playboy once again shaking off his nuggets. Ah, uh, he is shaking the nuggets off right now, Randy. So I notice here as I look at this team, I wrote, what a contrast. The near seven foot hillbilly Playboy Stan Frazier teaming with the five foot six effeminate Welshman only in wrestling, folks. And I, I don't know how familiar you are, Gene, with the old promotion in Japan, but uh, this team has war written all over it. I wrote, ah, yes, the war promotion brought us such great teams as Stan Lane and the Earthquake, Chavo Guerrero and Max Moon, Owen Hart and Adam Baum. There was even El Samurai from Japan teaming with Rio, Lord of the Jungle, who would go on to become Renegade in WCW. But this uh, Plowboy and Street team has to rank right up there. And it's only slightly less ludicrous only because it's in Memphis. War it, war was like every card was a lethal lottery, and it they was. just didn't tell us. But, <laughs> man, I got to say, like, watching this, like, Playboy Frazier and Adrian Street was the tag team I never knew I needed to see. But yes. I saw, I loved it. That ta- that was the most awkward hug I've ever seen in a wrestling match <laughs> when Street and Frazier hugged at the, begin- <laughs> the beginning of it. And I have to say, this, to me, was one of my more enjoyable playboy Frazier matches something about the the odd pairing of him and adrian it just kind of worked for me and i and that's something i've i've noticed watching these shows from 85 like and i've watched adrian street's whole career man i just forgot how how different and i'm not even talking about the gimmick just how different adrian's ring style was that's the way he wrestled and the way he man he could work in the ring yeah. Oh my gosh, what a worker. And just my this the oddness of this pairing and you know, Playboy lumbering around in there and then the way Street just comes right in and goes to work. Like, I don't know. I could have stood to see more of this team, quite honestly. No, it would have been fun for a little while here. I, I agree with that. But you know, everybody that knows a little bit about Adrian knows that the gimmick, the effeminate gimmick was that it was a gimmick, but obviously, but when he got in the ring, the story was he would change. You know, he'd turn into this this smaller. He would go in there and he would mess you up. But what a lot of people don't realize is Adrian Street, man, back in the, the UK days, he was quite the shooter. I mean, he could break your bones. He knew exactly what to do in that ring. So he was a dangerous, dangerous guy. Oh, man. Like, I I can remember, like, going to, you know, Continental shows when I was a kid. And around this time, probably 86, and, you know, here in, like, Columbus, Mississippi, and here are these rednecks down there. Like, oh, that's CC. I mean, that ain't the only sure. word they used, you know. No. But, oh, I could whoop his ass. And I'm just, like, thinking, yeah, man, you try. <laughs> Can you imagine how many redneck goose right. got just completely just destroyed over the years, like, out behind the building waiting on him, thinking, oh, yeah, we're going to. We're going to whoop this sissy's ass. And then he just takes them apart. They don't even know what hit him. Like, <laughs> that's yeah, so I, fun to be even consider. I'm not saying, you know, that he was part of the Wigan training and stuff like that, like Billy Robinson over there, but he certainly knew his way around a fight. And, uh, and I'm not just talking about, I'm going to win a fist bite, fight, or maybe I'll break your arm. I, from stories I've heard, he could be nasty. And I don't mean, you know, he was a bully. I mean, if provoked and he had to defend himself, yeah. 
he had no qualms about ripping your eye out or something along those lines. So, yeah, I can only imagine what some of those guys ran into, uh, you know, <laughs> at times. So I, I wish I had heard, you know, wish I could have heard more stories about some of that situation with Adrian. But I don't know if there's a whole lot out there. Uh, but uh, here, here we are. Fun time tag team matchup. Adrian Street hopping up to the middle rope and giving the playboy a big kiss on his bald forehead. I assume for good luck as we get things going here. And Jimmy Hart, quite the gentleman, pulling up a chair for Miss Linda ringside as the exotic one with a little around-the-world chain wrestling here, keeping Ken Raper guessing as he just picks him apart on the mat. And then it's Leaping Lanny's turn, who also has a hell of a run in an effeminate role as the genius a few years later on. God, I love that gimmick. Him versus Hogan, Saturday Night's main event, one of my favorite matches of all time. Yes, like Leaping Lanny, the... You know, the poem reading guy as a baby face, even as a young kid, did not work for me at all. This is no. like, oh, God, kill this guy. Especially but when he had man, the perm. Oh, yeah. He's out there with the perm. He's reading a poem <laughs> and he's throwing the frisbee in the crowd. And But man, as the genius, like he was just made for that. And, and you know, you wonder if maybe some of his time in the ring with Adrian didn't, you know, maybe uh, maybe where some of that character came from as far as how he would prance around the ring and you know some of his mannerisms there if maybe he picked that up here or not but they were very similar you gotta say so lanny tags in here he has a little bit of the ring action with adrian street and busts out a handspring backflip as playboy fraser gonna tag in boy this is uh quite an interesting duo here in the ring uh lanny Papo though taken into the wrong corner and the heel's gonna double team him work him over from there Try as he may, Lanny can't seem to get anything going, so we know who the better brother is. So Papo going to tag back to Ken Raper, who straight away telegraphs a backdrop. So that's two matches in a row now, Gene, if you're keeping score. Uh, for the finish, this time Playboy going to tag it, dropping the big leg across the throat of Raper. And then Adrian Street comes in, applying the, well, I wrote the Gibson leg locks, best way I could describe it. And the bridge going to score the one, two, three. Five minutes and 49 seconds. So two matches in a row. The job guy telegraphs a backdrop and gets eaten up by two finishers. So what have we learned? Baby faces, don't try to backdrop these bad guys. It does not go well for you. Uh, oh, I, I thought you were going to say, what have we learned? That uh, Adrian Street and Playboy Frazier did not watch the match before them. <laughs> well, there's that too. But uh, I, I, you know, I would have been nervous uh, laying there taking the big leg drop from Playboy Frazier. That had to be nerve-wracking. I, I can only yeah, see that coming I, down. I, I, would, I would say so. You, did you notice who came out to make the save in the Dirty White Boys match? Jerry Lawler. Who did we not see at all this week in the ring or on the microphone? Jerry Lawler. So you have to guess that his interview was edited out here. Yes, absolutely. There's no way the King made his way to the studio and didn't get any TV time. No, no. I'm, I'm, I'm sure... 27 of that 30 minutes we lost <laughs> involved Jerry Lawler. Cutting promos on Eddie Gilbert and talking about the next softball game. Exactly. As uh, we go on, guys, Saturday night. So we talked about Saturday morning. Let's go ahead uh, to Saturday night at the Fairgrounds Arena in Nashville, Tennessee. The advertised card, it's more of the same. We saw it last week in the Mid-South Coliseum. A lot of the same action here. Ken Wayne and Danny Davis taking on the Daydreamers. Stan Frazier against both Batten Twins. Uh, stands $500 on the line, no doubt. Adrian Street going up against Johnny Wilhoyt. Mid Listen to this one. Mid-American champion Mike Sharp scheduled to take on Steve-O, Steve Olsonowski, who has been running wild, and I use that term loosely. I put air quotes all around that. In the 1981 Georgia 
that me and Jamie Ward have been covering. He's held just about every title in the damn territory. Uh, I'm not sure Steve even ever appears here, which is uh, just okay with me. As uh, Jamie likes to refer to him, Mr. Personality. Mr. Personality. (laughs) Mr. Personality. Neon lights, Georgia titles, he got a push, nobody knows why, you don't have to believe me, finally Ole, he set us free. Uh, but Steve-O was on his way here, and he said, nuh-uh. So uh, I thank him for that. So He had to have something on somebody over there in Georgia. I had mean, to be Jim Barnett. He went on. through four bookers in a row. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Enough <laughs> said. Yeah, leave that right there. <laughs> I, don't think he, yeah, I don't think he had anything on him, but I think he... Anyway. <laughs> well, we'll continue on here. Uh, also on the card here in Nashville, it was scheduled to see the... the listen to this one. Now, this is curious. I'm going to pick your brain on this one. The masked interns taking on the dirty white boys in a no time limit, no disqualification, winner take all, anything goes match. So there must be a winner here in Nashville. I, I have to ask you, do you think we got the same finish that we got in Memphis? Because it seems unlikely since they just aired it on even the 60 minute version. But who knows? It's Memphis. Yeah, because Nashville wouldn't have gotten it yet, but they would have got they were getting it on TV. So. I doubt they got the same finish, but how did we get out of that one? I wonder. Uh, yeah, what's the second way to get out of a must be a winner <laughs> match? That's that's what I want to know. That now I'm really scratching my head. Somebody out there, help us out, you Nashvillians. Yes, if anybody were, if anybody was there and can tell us what that finish was, I would love to hear it. Quite honestly, and uh, in the main event there in the fairgrounds that Saturday night, Jerry Lawler not even going to bother to drive to Nashville. So it's the macho man, Randy Savage, taking on hot stuff, Eddie Gilbert, with Jimmy Hart in his corner. And should Savage get the win, he would get five minutes alone with Jimmy Hart in the ring. That would have been fun. Savage and Gilbert. No way, baby. Uh Uh-uh, baby. Not happening. (laughs) It's like I tell Elizabeth every night. It's happening, baby. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-huh. Liz says you can't last five minutes, baby. (laughs) Oh, man. But since so, going to take you to the danger zone, uh uh-huh. He better hope Eddie wins if he made that comment. <laughs> <laughs> but think about that for a minute. Randy Savage and Eddie Gilbert, that's a unique pairing in the ring. Oh, yeah. I, I would love to see some footage of, of one of their matches for sure. Uh, we move ahead, guys. January 13th, Sunday, and there's no Jerry Lawler show this week, at least not for us, sadly. I, I do believe we had have, have about 32 episodes of the Lawler show here from 85, so we are missing quite a few, But uh, this this week being one of them. But it will be back next week. Very interesting. More on that in just a little bit. Uh, As we go on, also January 13th, remember I mentioned, guys, a special Sunday night event here at the Mid-South Coliseum in Memphis, Tennessee. It's the Southern Tag Team Title Tournament for those vacated belts. And away we go, Gene, with round number one right out of the gate. It's the Daydreamers of Constant... I'm sorry, no, it's the mask team of the Daydreamers. No idea who's who's under those hoods. They defeat the team, this is a unique pairing, of Johnny Wilhoit and the recently established heel... Jerry Bryant. 
Uh, the finish is going to see Jerry Bryant get into it with his partner, Will Hoyt, shoving Will Hoyt, and Johnny going to retaliate with, man, did he have a high-ass dropkick. Great dropkick there, Will Hoyt knocking Bryant down, and one of the daydreamers, who are supposed to be babyfaces, make the cover. They take the advantage and secure the win. Match goes about seven and a half minutes. What an odd pairing, like, based on everything that's gone on on TV. Uh, I'm kind of baffled at how we how we justified getting that team to the ring. I mean, the finish made sense in the end, but how did we justify making that team of Johnny Wilhoit and Jerry Bryan? Well, that's, that's not the last question. It. Yeah, that's not the last question I have here in this, oh, this tournament. I gotta tell yeah, you. It's going to get and a lot weirder. Very next matchup, it's Jerry the King Lawler teaming with Johnny Wilhoit, the man who was just eliminated from the tournament. So <laughs> you have to think maybe that was supposed to be Steve-O or something. I'm guessing. It's uh, Johnny Jerry Lawler and Johnny Wilhoit battling the team of Eddie Gilbert and Iron Mike Sharp to a time limit draw. Now, on that arena show we talked about, uh, the air about seven minutes of this matchup. I'm not sure if it went 10 minutes, 15 minutes, what the case is there. But they, it's, it's supposed to be, I would imagine, usually there's a draw. It's a double elimination, right? Right. Well, no, the answer is it's Memphis. <laughs> so absolutely not. More on that in the next round, guys. As uh, we continue on here with uh, round number one, Playboy Frazier got a team with Adrian Street once more taking on the Batten Twins, Mark and Brad Batten. Now, I got to ask you, if Playboy Frazier's been beating both of them one on two, why are we supposed to think the Batten stand a chance against Street and the Playboy? I was just about to say, if the Battens had beaten the team of Frazier and Street together, I would have probably <laughs> tossed my laptop across the room. Oh, like, no, don't do that. How in the world can we justify this? But no worries. Street locked on the old Gibson lead block again and got the job done. Yeah, don't forget now, he did spray the uh, Miss Linda's uh, perfume in the face or hairspray or whatever that was there. Blinded the Batten before he locked in that Gibson. Does anybody know what that's called outside of the Gibson? You know, we, we credit the Gibsons, but... I'm pretty sure Adrian Street brought that over from the UK. Yeah, I'm sure he did, but I've, no announcer that I've seen has known what, what to call it to name it anything. To besides, they just always go, "Oh, got him in that leg lock there, and <laughs> got the pin." So. The leg lock into the bridge, going to get the win. We see about four and a half minutes of that matchup. Also in the first round, the Rock and Roll Express return for one week only. Here, at least for this point in time, it's Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson defeating Ken Wayne and Danny Davis. How come we don't see that on TV? That had to be a fun match because the Nightmares, they know how to work as a tag team against the Rock and Rolls. That could have been a fun first round match. Oh, yeah. There's some, uh, there are some fun Rock and Roll Express Nightmares uh, matches out there on YouTube. Mm -hmm. I would highly suggest you check them out. The Nightmares were a team that were really ahead of their time, and especially when they were baby faces, kind of like you pointed out in that TV match, you know, they did some high flying spots and dives and things that, you know, for 85 were, you know, Pretty cutting edge, and so, yeah, Rock and Roll Express against the Nightmares, that's that's got a lot of potential. So the Rock and Rolls, who were here for only one night, uh, they defeat the team who was here every week, Wayne and Davis, but there's good reason for that. We'll continue on here in the first round. Also, it's the Macho Man Randy Savage and brother leaping Lanny Poffo, scoring a win over Joe Lightfoot and Danny Hager as the heels cheat to have Poffo covered but as referee Paul Morton ushers Lightfoot back to his corner, Hager covering Lanny Poffo, but it's the Macho Man off the top rope, landing that flying elbow to the back of Hager's head, and then Lanny rolling on top to get the win. Five and a half minutes shown. I didn't think he was going to do it, but then he did it. Dropped the elbow right off the top rope into the back of Hager. That's fun to see the flying elbow going on back here in Memphis. Poor Lanny, though. Like, 
he can be a just more or less jobber on TV, but you put him with his brother, and now all of a sudden <laughs> he's winning matches. Bless his heart. Well, he's winning matches because Macho's getting it done all by himself as proof right there. They're, they're the baby faces, and he's cheating to win. Exactly. Now, to be fair, guys, the heels were cheating first, uh, but never let it be said that the Macho Man you know, doesn't fight eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's for sure. As uh, we continue on here in the first round, one more matchup. The Masked Interns taking on the Dirty White Boys. Now, this is odd. These are the two teams that held the titles up, right? And they're competing in the yeah. first round. So you're trying to eliminate at least one of these teams immediately. I thought this was odd placement for the first round. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm baffled at why we would go there. But masked interns pull off the win here. We can only assume that, you know, it was through some shady means. But Certainly shenanigans involved there some way, shape, or form. So remember earlier when Lawler and Johnny Wilhoyt went to that draw, that time limit draw? And that video footage is out there, so I can confirm it was indeed a time limit draw, guys. Uh, so right. they go to the draw with Gilbert and Mike Sharp. Well, for some reason... Uh, unbeknownst to me, I don't know that it was explained over the PA system there in Memphis, uh, but Eddie Gilbert and Mike Sharp return for round number two. I wrote question marks next to that uh, as they defeat the Daydreamers in round two after being eliminated in round one. I'm going to guess. Now, this is just purely speculation. Okay. Being Memphis, I'm willing to bet we flipped a coin at the I end gonna, of that draw. I was just going to ask you, are you going to say they flipped a coin? I'd be willing if I had to bet my life on anything and gun to my head, I would say I'm I'm willing to bet it's a coin toss. It was probably Jimmy Hart's double headed coin, I'm sure. <laughs> That's right, baby. Oh, you're not supposed to tell everybody, Jimmy. Damn. Uh we go on, round two. So so far we've seen the uh Gilbert and Sharp team advance. Also the Rock and Roll Express again successful in this round. Now this would have been a fun one to see. The Rock and Rolls over Playboy Frazier and Adrian Street, this time on a DQ. I'm sure Miss Linda got involved, or maybe something out of her purse anyway. But the Rock and Rolls do advance here over Frazier and Adrian. Seeing Ricky Morton play Ricky Morton against Playboy Frazier would have been quite <laughs> fun to see. I would have loved to have seen Street get in there with the Rock and Roll Express. Battle of the Gibson Leglocks. How about that? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't know how you could swap those back and forth, but if they could figure out a way to reverse it, that would have been the greatest finish. I, I could see Robert right now talking to Adrian before the match. Now, now hey, brother, uh, I didn't name it that. Just remember that. <laughs> <laughs> As uh, we continue on here, round two. Also, the masked interns defeating the team of Lanny Poffo and the Macho Man. It's Randy Savage going to dive out of the ring off the top rope with that patented double axe handle. Onto Don Bass, the intern on the outside. Meanwhile, in the ring, Troy Graham hands off brass knuckles to intern Roger Smith, who blasts Lenny Poffo and steals the win. A 12-minute match shown on TV, and it was fun. And Poffo took the fall. Who could have called that one? Yeah, how could you imagine? Randy Savage disappears from the match, and then Lenny Poffo does the <laughs> job. Imagine that. And I'm sure Randy booked it that way. But, you know, you got to think about this. We got Don Bass and Roger Smith in the ring wrestling Randy Savage. In just a few months, he's going to pop up on WWF TV. Yeah, that's what's really fun when you look at these Memphis results here to think of where he's going to be just just very shortly after this is pretty crazy. So we move on to the semifinals. Three teams have made it through at this point, and it's the Rock and Roll Express again, picking up a win over Eddie Gilbert and Mike Sharp, thus eliminating them, hopefully this time from the tournament. Also, the again. interns, <laughs> again, the interns getting a bye through the semis, taking us here to the finals, which is the interns taking on the Rock and Roll Express. And the mass team, surprisingly, well, you might 
think, well, the Rock and Rolls got this in the bag. But you'd be wrong, guys. It's the interns scoring the win over the Rock and Rolls. Uh, Ricky Morton getting blasted by Troy Graham's wheelchair footrest. Man, does he use that a lot. Uh, what a... What a <laughs> fuck it, fuck it, Kane, Gene. Troy knows how to get shit done. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, Eddie Marlin or somebody needs to dictate that he needs to weld that freaking footrest to that wheelchair because we're getting a lot of mileage out of that thing recently. He's using that more than Bob Orton's cast, man. As the exactly. Interns going to pick up the win, steal the win over the Rock and Roll Express. So putting over the local team, the masked interns here, going over on the Rock and Roll's about five minutes shown. What a finish. I mean, you know, Rock and Roll Express are there for one night, but, you know, they – uh had some good matches along the way, put the interns over at the, in the finals, and, and now the titles are back on the interns. So. Yeah, you, you have to think, the very beginning of 85, they've just left Bill Watts, so maybe they're right in between the Watts and Crockett runs. I'm not really sure how that works out there, but they make a stop in their old stomping grounds, and uh, they do the right thing in the finals here. Uh, they obviously put the local team over, but it really makes the interns something big, even if they have to steal the win over the very well-known, at this point, Rock and Roll Express. It's just really bizarre to me that we went through that whole fiasco with the double pin to hold the belts up and build all this heat between them and the Dirty White Boys on TV just to have them put the Dirty White Boys out in the first round yeah. and then go on to win the belts back at the end of the night. Just, I and don't it, know, man. You know, and if you're booking, and I'm not saying this is what you do, but this is something you could have done if you're looking to push a, a third team here. You have the Dirty White Boys return in the finals when the interns are cheating again, and they cost the interns the title, the, t the title match, the finals, and give the belts to the other babyface team that you're trying to push. Of course, in this instance, the Rock and Roll Express, so that doesn't really work here. But that's just another way you can go if you're going to do that in the first round. Get a little revenge at the end of the night. The feud continues without the belts in play. Yeah, or, or you had the Dirty White Boys against another heel team in the first round. The interns come out and cause them to get eliminated, but they don't actually eliminate them, you know. And right. Then they, yeah, I don't know. It's just weird to have them beat them in the in the first round just to put the belts right back on the interns. But hey, I'm sure they know what they're doing. This will all make sense at some point. At some point, anyway. Yeah. So uh, we go on Monday night. Now remember, the Coliseum show was Sunday night, so we fast forward to January 14th, Monday, at the City Auditorium in Clarksdale, Mississippi sponsored by the Clarksdale Police Department. The card originally scheduled for January the 8th, but it was rescheduled here to Monday for due to inclement weather. So they uh, slid it right in there on a normal Mid-South Coliseum night. Very smart. Man, I tell you what, growing up in Mississippi, uh, there was a lot of wrestling shows and, well, many things, but for me, most importantly, uh, wrestling shows that had to be rescheduled due to inclement weather. So, uh not that strange to see happen on in Mississippi in January. So, uh, so Mississippi, one of the last states to get a snowplow. I don't know. Oh, they they're still waiting. <laughs> Absolutely. But it's it's a fun <laughs> little show there in Clarksdale. Uh, scheduled to appear: Adrian Street, the Dirty White Boys, Eddie Gilbert, Mike Sharp. So it's a loaded card. It's all the top talent. I also see Jimmy Valiant listed here, but I can't confirm that. Uh, but no no results, no matches, guys. I have no information outside of. They ran there on a Monday night rather than the Coliseum. Uh, we go on. We got one more show here. This week we're going to cover on Regional Wrestling Gene. And it's the January 15th Louisville Garden Show. And uh, before we get to the matches, I do have all the results, guys. Before we get there, I do have some interviews lined up. Quite a few interviews, actually. Mike Sharp, Jimmy Hart, Eddie Gilbert, the Daydreamers, kind of. You'll see what I mean. The Dirty White Boys and Jerry the King Lawler. 
All right, back to Channel 3's Championship Wrestling coming up in just a moment. By golly, Tuesday night, that's when it is. Seven big matches, last three read like this. Dirty White Boys going against Adrian Street and Jimmy Hart. Coward Way, the flag match, that's going to be Iron Mike Sharp and Handsome Jimmy Moore on that in a second. And then the final bout, barbed wire around the ring, Eddie Gilbert and Jerry Lawler. Jimmy Hart. <laughs> I can't wait for this match, grudge match. You know, the Dirty White Boys, they're running their mouths. What did they say? They said Jimmy Hart deserted them. Boom, man, you know what happened on the thing? They didn't want my services anymore. Well, I'll promise you this. I'm going to get rid of them once and for all, baby. Me and Adrian Street. Well, I'm looking forward to that coward waves the flag. It doesn't end. Lawler's going to be in Banyan's corner, and Hart's going to be in your corner. That's right. That's right. Jimmy, step right up here. you got to promise me one thing. I promise. Under no circumstances, no situation, I don't care how hurt I am, I don't care how much blood there is, how many bones are broken, that you'll wave that flag. Baby, if they take you to the hospital, I won't wave that flag. Hey, that's my man. That's my man. But we know whose flag's going to be waving, don't we? Huh? Right, hey, we know. <laughs> we'll find out. And you are going to be in a ring enclosed in barbed wire with Jerry Lawler. Let me tell the people of Louisville, Kentucky, one thing. Now, this is not the second most dangerous match. This is not the third most dangerous match in wrestling. This is the most dangerous match in wrestling. Well, I agree Lance, with that. I went to promotion. I asked for this match because last week in Louisville, Kentucky, Jerry Lawler kept running from me every time I had him down. Well, this week, Lawler, you can't run. And if you try, your hides going to be torn right off your back and your face and every part of your body. Okay, what a say. Back into action here on Channel 3's Championship Wrestling in just a moment. Tuesday night, that's right, and seven big matches coming right into the Louisville Gardens. Here they are, Tojo Yamamoto against Dangerous Danny Hager, Steve O going against Johnny Wilhoyt, Joe Lightfoot and Lanny Poffo ta uh, tangling in there. Then listen to this one, Nightmares, Wayne and Davis going against the new team of the Daydreamers. Talk to them in just a second. Dirty White Boys facing Adrian Street and Jimmy Hart, former manager of the Dirty White Boys, then a coward waves the flag match. Jimmy Valiant, Mike Sharp, it'll be Lawler and Valiant's corner, and it's going to be Hart and Sharp's corner. It'll go until one of the corners waves the flag and gives it up. And final match, it'll be Jerry Lawler, Eddie Gilbert in a barbed wire match. Here are the daydreamers. They're going against the uh, unmasked nightmares in there, and they've been saying, hey, we know those guys, mm -hmm, constant nationally under the mask. Well, you know, they've been running their mouth a whole lot here lately, Lance. They've been, uh, they've been talking a lot. So we're just going to do our talking in the ring. It's going to be Tuesday night right there in the Louisville Garden. Seven big matches in there. And one of the bouts will be a grudge match. It'll have the Dirty White Boys going against Adrian Street and Jimmy Hart, your former manager. You know something? Jimmy Hart's telling everybody we turned his back on him and we don't need his services no more. I'm going to tell you something, Hart. You go out and get a partner like Adrian Street. You know something? It looks like both these guys. I don't know which one should be doing the prancing around, brother. But I'm going to tell you something, Jimmy Hart. You know the Dirty White Boys. You know where we come from. We come from the street, brother. You promised and made us a lot of promises. But I'm going to tell you one thing. Right there in Louisville, it's all going to come down. All I want is one chance, a brother back here, to get his hands on you. Okay, and we also are going to be looking forward to that barbed wire match when uh, Jerry Lawler and Eddie Gilbert get it all. That's right, Lance. A double duty I got that night. Eddie Gilbert, you wimp. Now, you think that I just spent a lot of years, brother, and a lot of blood and sweat making my name. If you think that I'm just going to step aside and let a punk like you take over, you got another thought coming, brother. Barbed wire match. It's going to be all around the ring. You can't run this week. We're not going to have to fight all over Louisville Gardens. It's going to be right inside the ring. And when I take that stinking face of yours and run it from one end to the other of that ring with that barbed wire on it, brother, 
your own mama ain't gonna recognize you. And as I said, Lance, I got double duty. Coward waves the flag, I'm gonna be in Vance Corner, and he's made me swear that I will not wave it no matter what. So that's gonna be a bloody, brutal match, but Vance is gonna come out on top. Lots of great promos there heading into the Louisville Gardens. Jimmy Hart promising Mike Sharp he won't throw in the towel. Eddie Gilbert pimping the barbed wire match is the most dangerous match in professional wrestling. Nowhere to run. The Daydreamers, they barely speak. I think they, I think I clocked them in at six seconds there, probably for the best. <laughs> Dirty White Boys, I don't know if you caught that. They said that Jimmy Hart says that we turned his back on him. I'd love to see how you do that. Turning Jimmy Hart's back on him. <laughs> That's like the, uh, the Memphis version of I kicked your leg out of your leg. I kicked your leg out of your leg. Woo! (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) That's uh, That's what popped my mind as soon as I heard him say that. (laughs) Jimmy Hart saying we turned his back on him. Uh, Yeah, Jerry Lawler, he's going to make a mess of Eddie Gilbert. And that coward waves the flag match. Lawler promising he's not going to wave the flag either. Well, we'll see how that turns out as we go right now to results, guys, from the January 15th Louisville Garden Show. Tojo Yamamoto over Dangerous Danny Hager, so you see where his career is going. It's Johnny Wilhoit defeating David Haskins. Haskins uh, subbing for Steve O here. O was advertised for this matchup, but again, a no-show. Not complaining. Mr. Personality. You think there was anybody demanding a refund for uh, Steve O not showing up? Yeah, damn it. I wonder, I wonder <laughs> how many people came to see Steve O there in Louisville. Uh, also on the card, Joe Lightfoot over Lanny Poffo on a DQ. Uh, the Nightmares, or the former Nightmares, I'm going to call them that from time to time, guys. I do apologize. Uh, Ken Wayne and Danny Davis, again defeating the Daydreamers by disqualification. The Dirty White Boys over the team of Adrian Street and former manager Jimmy Hart. Kind of curious here why the interns aren't on the card, but instead Jimmy Hart subbing in as a wrestler, uh, teaming with Adrian Street. Not that I'm complaining, that had to be a fun match. It absolutely had to be, but it almost was kind of like Adrian in somewhat of a handicap match yeah. to some degree. Like, usually, if Jimmy Hart was included, it would have been Adrian Playboy and Jimmy Hart against the Dirty White Boys. Well, I was going to say, didn't they do a gimmick? Didn't they do, like, a, a kind of a handicap tag gimmick when Cornette was managing Adrian Street, where Street, Corny, and Miss Linda, at least? I mean, that would have made a little more sense. And, yeah, against Dundee and uh, the referee, Jerry Calhoun. Uh, okay, so I couldn't there remember. were a few different versions of that match, but yeah, that was one of them. Was Dundee and the ref against <laughs> Street, Street Cornette and Miss Linda? I think that's on the Retro Wrestling Network channel. If you want to check one of those, one or two of those out are on there. So it's it's as fun as it sounds. I, maybe by '85, Miss Linda's just not getting in the ring anymore. Maybe that's the situation here. I'm not really sure, but um, because she used to wrestle way back in the day prior to her time as just a manager here for Adrian Street. But the Dirty White Boys scoring the win there. I'm going to have to assume Jimmy Hart took the pin. Again, that had to be a fun match, one I would have loved to have seen. Also on the card in a Coward Waves the Flag match. We've seen this result repeatedly now. I wish one of them would appear on TV so I can get an idea of the finish. Anybody who's ever seen one of these between Mike Sharp and Jimmy Valiant, please let us know how it is Mike Sharp defeats the Boogie Woogie Man Jimmy Valiant with Jerry Lawler in his corner. No way Lawler's just throwing in the flag, especially against Iron Mike Sharp. So certainly shenanigans involved. I'd like to know how that played out. Yeah, I would, I would have to think it would be uh, Eddie Gilbert runs out. And right. Hits him from behind. The flag goes flying, kind of like the Halloween Havoc 89 finish, you know, with uh, Ole. Ole. Right. Yeah. Uh, something along those lines to set up the main event. But 
you know, Jimmy told us in that promo, he said he didn't care if, if Mike Sharp was on his way to the hospital. He still wasn't going to wave the flag. So for once, uh, he stuck to his word. That's right, baby. Uh, so uh, once again, <laughs> we, we've seen it pretty much all the way around the horn. So we're probably finishing up here this week with the barbed wire match. Again, Jerry Lawler scoring the win over Hot Stuff, Eddie Gilbert, and the barbed wire main event there. So that's going to wrap it up here this week in regards to results and covering the Memphis territory, Gene. But uh, just another fun week of wrestling action, and I think we've caught up on the bicycle now. So everything we talked about last week in Memphis, we covered this week in the other cities. There we go. It's uh, like I say, if if you're the guy cutting those promos, or you know, if you're Lance having to set the table on these, it's you got to keep track of that because I'm sure that was quite the headache to keep track of you know what town we're going into and where we're at in the cycle. So well, Gene, good we, for we, them for keeping it straight. We've got a few minutes to kill here, and uh, I was hoping you could uh, plug some of your projects. Uh, but before you do that, I was hoping uh, your your interview with David Haskins. Is there any one story you could share with us here on Regional Wrestling? Uh, well, I'll tell you what. I'll share uh, David, David Haskins. I don't know if he knew him well, but anyway, he, uh, he had decided he wanted to get involved in the wrestling business, and he knew of uh, Jeff Van Camp, who had just left the business. You know, he'd been Lord Humongous in Memphis and in uh, Mid South, and he asked Jeff, "You know, how do I get in the wrestling business?" And Jeff told him, "He said, look, go down to the Mid South Coliseum, go around the back to that gate, and just wave at them, and they'll wave you on in." He said, "If you stop and ask them any questions." They'll turn you around. He said, but if you just pull in like you're a wrestler and wave at them, they'll wave you on in. He said, so Monday night, he drives down the Coliseum. He pulls up the gate. Guy's standing there. He just waves. The guy waves on in. He pulls on in. And uh, and Jeff had told him, he said, just get out and go in that back entrance of the Coliseum where the wrestlers go in. And uh, he said, what do I do when I get in there? He said, just tell them you want to be a wrestler and ask for Lawler. And so it just so happens he goes in, and the first guy he runs into is Jerry Lawler. And Jerry Lawler's like, who are you? How'd you get in here? <laughs> and so Hassan's <laughs> like, uh, Jeff Van Camp uh, told me to come see you. And so, uh, you know, he told Jerry that he, he wanted to be a wrestler. And so Lawler asked him, you know, well, have you, get, have you been trained? And he's like, well, no, not not really. And so, uh, so Lawler hands him off to, uh, I think he said he talked to Troy Graham. He talked to Eddie Gilbert. And so throughout the night, he talked to... Uh, several different people and kind of told him his athletic background, you know, he'd played ball and this and that. And so Lawler had told him, well, you know, come to, uh, I think it was Jonesboro that weekend. And he said, and you know, we'll, we'll talk to you some more. And then as I referenced earlier in the show, he came, you know, the old wrestlers thing, always have your gear. Even if you ain't been trained yet, he had had ordered, you know, boots and tights from K and H. And so he shows up and I forget the circumstances. A couple hour drive from me. Yeah, of how Lawler's gear didn't get there, but somehow Lawler ends up without gear, and he's like, hey, we're about the same size. I got some brand new boots and tights, and uh, Lawler's like, well, I can't wear your gear the first time it ever gets worn, and whoever was standing there, you know, was like, "Uh, well, you need to wrestle tonight, and the gear fits you. You need to wear it, (laughs) so, you know, he let Lawler wear his gear, and Lawler said, hey, you know, come to TV. And uh, I'll let you do I guess jobs. that night in Jonesboro, he <laughs> uh, he you know he got in the ring and bumped around a little bit. But yeah, next thing you know, he's on TV doing jobs, and you know that's the rest is history. He does some jobs in Memphis for a while, and Eddie Gilbert took a liking to him in that very first match they had there on TV. Mm-hmm. He almost ended up going 
to UWF through Gilbert, but didn't want to be involved in the uh, Missing Link Dark Journey storyline. So he turned that down and wow. ended up staying in Memphis jobbing a little longer. And if you want to hear more, you can check out the interview. And yeah. Uh, But yeah, I thought that was pretty fun, though, that you know Jeff Van Camp just tell them to show up and wave and they'll wave you in. And sure enough, turns out anybody could have just rolled in the back door of the Coliseum <laughs> there if they were smart enough to not ask the security guard, right. uh, can they come in? So. Very cool. Again, thanks thanks for out. sharing that here. Yes. Yeah. T- yeah talk man. about your uh, projects, Gene. Facebook.com, uh, Retro Wrestling Network. You know, we got the Retro Wrestling Podcast I just started. Uh, we've got one up with uh, Lolly Dude, who was uh, Crybaby Francis Buxton and uh, Global Wrestling Global, Federation yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and and did some stuff in uh, you know, UWF and whatnot. Uh, interviewed him. We talked to David Haskins. We're working on some other interviews, but we got a lot of great, you know, old school wrestling footage on the channel. So you can go to facebook.com slash retro wrestling network, or again, you can go to the YouTube channel, retro wrestling network. And also I've got another podcast where I interview wrestlers and uh, stand up comics. Cause that's another hobby of mine. Um, and you can uh, add me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Gene Jackson 95 and find all that other good stuff. Main event comedy is our show that we go around and, and do here in Alabama. We're looking to branch that out some more here. And uh, we also have, if you're into uh, silly parody wrestling, uh, we've got we've got a uh, on the Retro Wrestling Network. Me and my buddy Bob Anderson. Well, not me, uh, Whitey Jenkins, uh, this outlaw wrestling promoter. Him and Bob Anderson have a show <laughs> called Outlaw Wrestling Federation, uh, where they. Uh, do commentary over horrible wrestling, but it's all in fun. So uh, Worldwide Wrestling comes out every Thursday at noon. So give that a look. You may find that entertaining. We do. So. Gene Jackson, a busy man. I love it. Uh, that's uh, very cool. I'm uh, glad you were able to share that with everybody here. Let them know you're doing more than just here on regional wrestling, but I uh, certainly hope that you return again because there's a whole lot more of 1985 right around the corner. Hey, like I told you, man, anytime you need me, I will be here. I know, uh, I know we're go- you're going to work, uh, Steve Crawford in and he's definitely knowledgeable. So, uh, I will always defer to him when he's available, but anytime you need me, uh, you say the word and I will, I will be right here. Like I said, to play Dave Brown to your Lance Russell here on the regional wrestling podcast for Memphis 85. Well, uh, you're here for the month of January. So I want to keep you around because next time when we return guys, we're going to cover Jan- the January 19th edition of championship wrestling TV. And then the following mid South Coliseum results as well. And yes, guys, the Jerry Lawler show returns to regional wrestling gene, the January 20th edition of the Lawler show featuring in-studio guests, the Dirty White Boys. Boy, that should be interesting. Plus, the King going to talk to Troy Graham, and Lawler interviews a couple of boxers who uh, have to be pissed off that they're fighting for real and can't touch the money the King is making in Memphis. I can taste the content in that studio interview. Boy, that should be... That sounds like a very promising episode of the Jerry Lawler Show. Looking forward to that one for sure. (laughs) Absolutely, indeed. So... You never know what's going to pop up at the Mid-South Coliseum next, guys. So, hey, I'm curious myself because I, I sometimes I, I wait and I, I watch it as I go, and sometimes I jump ahead a little bit, and I can't remember what happens week to week without looking at my notes anyway. So I truly don't know off the top of my head what's coming next, so I look very much forward to that. As we know, once again, the interns for now are the Southern Tag Team Champions. 
There we go. We got Southern Tag Team Champions and the interns and the Southern Heavyweight Champion, Jerry Lawler, and he's going to be talking to their manager, Troy Graham, on the Jerry Lawler Show. So that should be fun. Should be very interesting indeed, guys. So, Gene, just appreciate you being here once again on the show so quickly, man. I really, truly do appreciate it. I love getting this going already a couple weeks into the year of 1985 and uh, no end in sight. Well, thanks for having me, man. Like I said, I've been uh, really excited about us uh, talking to some Memphis wrestling. And, uh, you know, we're just, like I said, we're just getting started. We're just a couple of weeks in. So there's no telling what is going to happen next. But we've had our first big studio brawl. We've had barbed wire matches. You know, we've got masked men. We've got San Quentin chain matches. You just matches never where there must be a winner. Only there's no winner. <laughs> where there must be a winner, where there's no winner. Right. So. You know, just like the old Roddy Piper thing, just when you think you have all the answers, Memphis wrestling changes the questions, and that's, that's certainly that's true. That's it in a nutshell. All right, man. Thank you, Gene, for being here. Thank you. All right, guys, that's going to wrap things up here this week. And, of course, we'll be back soon with more of Memphis 85, UWF 86, and Georgia 1981 with Jamie Ward. And, of course, I am your host, Ray Russell. You can follow me on X at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-E-S-S-L-A and Grenade. And we'll be back soon with more regional wrestling, where we talk the territories. Talk the territories.